I've noticed over the years, I've been in ministry for quite a while now, and I've been in church for longer than that, um, and I've been in church in different places, Ireland, England, Northern Ireland, here in the States, um, and one thing that I have noticed over the years that seems to be happening is that our churches pray less. I can remember in my church in Ireland where they had a weekly prayer meeting every Tuesday night, and it would go for like two hours, and they would pray for everything from the pastor and his family to the ministries of the church to the needs of the church, for the government, um, for, the, for the world, for missions around, you name it, and they would, just, they would just pray, and they wouldn't waste a lot of time talking in between. It was like, we're going to pray about missions right now, and then boom, off they would go, and they would pray for 20, 30 minutes, and then they would list something else, and they would pray about that. And it was never hugely well attended, um, although our church wasn't huge back then anyway, but they were consistent. They were disciplined. And it seems like nowadays, we don't have weekly prayer meetings because they're not well attended, so why bother? Um, I once heard a sermon on prayer, specifically, that ended with this challenge, and I'm not kidding when I tell you this. The challenge that the pastor issued to his church, to his flock, after a sermon on prayer was, pray while you brush your teeth in the morning. If you want to pray more, pray while you brush your teeth. That'll give you at least an extra two minutes per day than you did the day before. Not a bad bit of advice, but I was like, that's it? Like, you're challenging the people of God to pray while they brush their teeth. Multitask. Like, I don't know if you've heard my wife wanders around the house, and she, talks, she brushes her teeth wandering around the house, and she'll start trying to talk to me during it. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, sure, I'll do that. I have no idea what she just said. Um, and this was, his, this was his application to what the Word of God said about prayer. Pray while you brush your teeth. And I was thinking, okay, that's just his initial. No, that was it. He then closed in prayer. And I felt like, that's pathetic. As the people of God, shouldn't we be challenging ourselves to develop a lifestyle of prayer? Develop a conversational prayer with the Lord to really start to delve deep and understand what intercession is all about? We seem to almost give lip service, for lack of a better term, or no pun intended, to prayer. Um, how many of you guys have ever told someone you're going to pray for them? and then walked away and completely forgotten until you see them the next time? How many of you have told someone you have been praying for them after you see them and you remember that you said that you were going to be praying for them and haven't actually prayed for them? Done that. I'll admit it. Okay? Probably many of you have. We, we tend to, I don't know, gloss over, minimize, diminish the importance or the value of prayer. And so I'm not quite sure what my goal for today is, aside from to encourage you to pray more, not just while you're brushing your teeth, hopefully, but or to maybe more effectively gain a curiosity about what your prayer life could become and encourage you to develop that. Um, I certainly don't have all the answers, and prayer is an interesting one. Here's just some questions off the top of my head. 
um, that you may have asked before. Um, if God already knows the thoughts in my head, then why does it matter if I pray? If I don't know how to pray or what to pray for, then how does that work? If God is going to answer yes, no, or maybe, which is what we tell the kids, right? Or maybe wait, right? Then is there really any point in asking in the first place? And isn't maybe just God's way of saying no later? You know, parents, you'll know what that means, right? Um, what do I do when I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back down to me? They're not getting through. Is out loud prayer more effective than in our head prayer? But what if I'm too nervous to pray out loud? What if I don't want people to hear my prayer thoughts, my prayer life? And if God doesn't ever change his mind because he's perfect, then why would he ask us to pray in the first place? Some fast, that's just off the top of my head. I could go on. Prayer is a tricky one. How it all works, the dynamics of it all, I'm no expert on, and I don't pretend to have all the answers, but there are some things I want to explore today. The topic of prayer raises as many or more questions as it sometimes answers. There's a mystery to it, and we generally don't like that. But I believe that's often the point. We want things to be clean and easy, Drop a coin in the, in the thing, select your bag of chips, out pops your, what you asked for, right? Drop a prayer in, select your de desired response. But it doesn't always work like that. In fact, most of the times it doesn't work like that because God's not a vending machine. It's far more complicated than that. He's far more complicated than that. And I'm not even going to pretend to unpack it all this morning, but praying is something I've been doing a lot lately. Um, these past few weeks have been exhausting. The Lord has seen fit for reasons I can't even pretend to understand to allow a number of people that I love and care about to walk through some, for lack of a better way of putting it, some situations that are pretty terrifying and heartbreaking. And it's been wearing me out as I've thought about them and as I've prayed for them. I can't even imagine how they're feeling through these situations. But I know it's absolutely nothing compared to, or I know what, I know what I've been dealing with. Like, I've lost sleep, but I know it's nothing compared to what they've been dealing with. I've prayed, I've cried. Like, I told you about the worship. I shed a few tears at the back there during the worship because it was just some good reminders of how great our God is and that my prayers are not wasted. I've been at loss of how to pray or what to say. I've been at a loss of how to offer them hope that isn't just wishful thinking, or at least comes across that way. I've been angry. I've probably, no, I've definitely said too much as I've prayed. I've prayed feeling helpless. I've prayed angry, blowing right past the sanitized line of and I kid you not, asking God to wake up and step up. Not sure if you're allowed to do that, but I have done it. And then waited for the lightning that never came. So that's probably a good thing. And don't, don't feel sorry for me. I hope you're not thinking, oh, the life of a pastor. No, it's not. This is the life of every believer. It's been exhausting, but it's also been beautiful. 
God has shown up. Not always in the ways that I've wanted, at least not yet. But he's most definitely been there. And this morning was just another great reminder to keep going, to keep praying. He's working. I say, don't feel sorry for me. I feel a little like Jacob wrestling the angel. And I've kind of determined that I won't let go until he blesses those that I'm praying for. And I'm willing to suffer for it a little bit, which I feel like I am. But I think that's not just okay, I think that's right. I think that's how intercessory prayer is supposed to work. I'm hoping that as I take on some of the burden that my friends are dealing with, that their burden has been lifted a little, knowing that someone is lifting them up. Which brings me to the passage that I want to focus on this morning. It's short, but it raises a lot of questions, and questions lead to more questions, which lead to truth, to Jesus. So if you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 14, and we're going to just look at verses 12 through 14 real quick. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to come, which is his death and his crucifixion. Okay, um, And he's in the process of kind of just dropping a few hints, letting them know it's coming, kind of trying to get their heads prepared and their hearts prepared for what's about to come, but also about what's coming after and what he expects from them after, after he's gone. So in verse four, chapter 14, verse 12 through 14 says this. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And in verse 13, he says, And I will do whatever you ask for in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and I'm like, eh, that's not how it works. That sounds real good, but I've tried that. That's not how it works. I want to focus mainly on verse 13. And my first section, the whatever, like really, like whatever we ask, it says, I will do whatever you ask. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, hold up, Andy. There's a caveat. We can't just focus on the whatever, but that's where I want to start. He says, you're right. And I'm not ignoring that there are caveats. There are conditions surrounding the whatever. But before we go setting limitations on what God has told us to ask and setting limitations upon God and what our prayer lives can look like, let's dig a little deeper. Jesus tells them, I will do whatever you ask. Like surely he didn't mean, you know, whatever. Like of course not, right? I'm still waiting on my Ferrari that I asked for when I was 10 years old. Maybe today's the day, right? I'll walk out there. Like, you guys have given me a car before. Maybe, like, no? No, okay, fair enough. It's worth a shot. Um, of course, there's conditions, there's caveats, there's clarifying factors. Like, obviously, we can't just ask for anything. Or can we? Like, is that what Jesus meant? What if Jesus chose his words deliberately? And I say that sarcastically because, of course, he chose his words deliberately and carefully, right? For that very reason, 
within the context or the framework set forth, whatever you ask for is exactly what Jesus meant. Whatever you can think of, nothing is off limits. Nothing is too big and nothing is too small. Jesus is very clear that if we ask for bread, he will not give us a stone. If we ask for fish, he won't give us a snake. Because he loves us, he cares for us, he gives good things. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear that when, when we ask, we will often get more than we ask for and sometimes more than we bargain for. But Jesus was always, almost always, giving people not just what they asked for, but what they truly needed at the same time. They may have had a physical need, and he would often meet that physical need, but also expose and meet their spiritual need in the same breath that was far deeper and far more far-reaching. When Jesus speaks of prayer, he uses big, limitless words. That's intentional. So before we go starting putting and exacting limitations on that based upon our experience or based upon our understanding or whatever else, let's take Jesus at his word that whatever we ask for is what he will do. Jeremiah 33 says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things, things which you did not know. The phrase mighty things literally means things that are hidden, inaccessible, things that are fenced in. God fully intended to communicate that nothing lies outside the reach of prayer. There are no boundaries to its jurisdiction. I think sometimes we tend to ask for things that we know we stand a chance of getting. Does that make sense? So we limit our prayers to, well, he's not going to give me that. I'll, I'll just stick with, you know, I'll keep the bar low. And then God will exceed it every time. But Jesus says, don't set the bar low. Set the bar high. Whatever you think is high, go higher. Whatever is a concern in the heart of man is a concern in the heart of God. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Ephesians 3 verse 20 suggests, actually no, it states that he is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Immeasurably more. In other words, it's unmeasurable. We can't get our heads around it. But for some reason, we have this tendency to set limitations or skip to the real truth. Ephesians 2 is a great classic example of this whole idea of kind of skip, skipping to what we see as the real truth. Does that make sense? I say, we, we talk about whatever you ask for, and we go, yeah, yeah, but there's a real truth behind that, and there is, okay? But so we don't really pay attention to the whatever you can ask for part because we want to skip to what the real meaning is, right? Um, how many of you guys have ever read Ephesians chapter 2? It talks about, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Now, he goes on for about four to five verses describing what our lives were like, the, the, the position we were in before Christ. And it's pretty bleak. I was in a Bible study once where a guy was trying to teach on this passage, and it drove him crazy. 
because he barely got through verse one and someone said, yeah, 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 but verse six. He's like, hold up, we're not there yet. And they're like, yeah, but verse six. He's like, I know, verse six, it tells us that we are made alive in Christ. He's like, right, yeah, yeah, so let's get to that part. He's like, no, no, before we get to that part, we've got to understand verses one through five. Because verse 6 means nothing until you fully grasp and understand just how lost and dead you were. Being made alive in Christ is great, if you, but it's not as great if you think you just, had a, if you just passed out. You didn't just pass out, you were gone. Way gone. And we tend to want to skip to the good stuff or skip to the real stuff. And just like we'd like to gloss over the hard to hear stuff or get to the quote-unquote good stuff, we seem to be equally good at minimizing the promises of God by emphasizing the caveats and conditions. And that's reasonable enough. It's a reasonable enough habit because it's true. It's there. We have to be aware of those conditions and those qualifying factors within that. But we need to not miss the whatever you ask for. I will do. It's a habit we need to get rid of, of limiting God before we get to the, the real, the important stuff. When Jesus tells his disciples that they'll do greater works than he did, no doubt they were wondering how this could possibly be true. Maybe he saw the looks of incredulity on their faces. And so he follows that up with, in that context of this, he follows it up with, whatever you ask for, I will do. And whatever you ask for means whatever you can think to ask for. Ask big. Ask without setting limitations on our God or the preconditioned on our sanitized requests. Just ask already. That said, caveats are caveats. Or maybe a better way to describe them is that there are guidelines or context within which we are to ask this whatever type prayer request. And we must be careful not to take things out of, out of context. You've all seen Tim Tebow when he played football and he would wear, you know, verses on his, on his little eye patches or whatever else you call them, band-aid stuff. And one of the favorites was one from Philippines, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Great verse. One we love to take out of context. It doesn't mean I can suddenly play in the NBA. No offense, but this white boy still can't jump. And I'd probably make more buckets if I kicked the ball with my foot than throwing it with my hand. And I'm probably not joking about that. I cannot shoot a basketball to save my life. There was one time I was shooting hoops outside the front of my house, and my wife came out, this is years ago, and she said, um, you're a bit close to the car. I'm like, I'm three feet away. Like, I'm just like, I can't miss. What's going to happen? I barely heard the door close, threw one up, and it ripped out, rimmed out, hit my windshield. I waited about five, six minutes before I went in, and she could tell by my sheepish look on my face what had just happened. I didn't even have to say anything. She was very gracious, by the way. But we love to take things out of context and, and miss stuff. There are caveats to this whatever you ask for. And here's what it is, the second part of the verse. In Jesus' name, whatever you ask for, in my name, I will do. 
Jesus repeats a variation of this, this promise, six times in the next couple of chapters alone. Look, if, you've, if you want to follow along, you can look, but you can just kind of keep track real quick. In verse 13 of chapter 14, he says, whatever you ask for in my name. In, John, in verse 14 of chapter 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name. Chapter 15, verse 16, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. In, in chapter 16, verse 23, whatever you ask the Father in my name. And verse 24 says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. And in verse 26, it says, in that day, you will ask in my name. That seems like a pretty key part of the whole process. So what does it mean? I think Jesus is referencing his coming ministry of intercession. After his death, resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. One work was completed, the work of salvation, but now a new work began. His work on the cross was finished, salvation was secured for those who would believe, and his work of intercession and mediation for those saints then began. The in-his-name aspect of the asking is a critical component, but not designed to dampen our enthusiasm in the asking, but rather to clarify it. It's not some sort of secret code that we tack on at the end of our prayers and we, oh, I said in Jesus' name, now God has to do it. It's not a tool to manipulate him or to bend God to our will. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray by the authority of in harmony with or a sanction by the name of Jesus. We have the right to pray in his name and by his authority because we are his representatives doing his work on earth. We are to be about his business. And because we're about his business, we can ask whatever in his name to, to enable us to to further that agenda, to further that business. To pray or to act, because they are connected in the name of Jesus, means that we do so by his authority and with his approval. In other words, we, what we pray for and what we do, how we live, is consistent with his character. It's to pray according to his will. And to do that implies that we know him well enough and intimately enough that we know his heart. Now, there's, if you're like me, you know sometimes you're praying for something and you're like, I'm pretty sure this is in his will. I'm pretty sure this is something he would want. But is it his will for the moment? Is it his will for now? Is it his will for later? Will it, is it his will that this doesn't happen? Because he can achieve glory through other, other means. So we've got to be careful with it, and sometimes it can get tricky. But one thing that we've, we definitely need to make sure we do is that not understanding it doesn't slow us down or stop us from asking whatever in his name. I read a story about this whole idea once. A dad took his family to a theme park. And upon entering the theme park, they bought a boatload of the little tickets, tear-off tickets that you needed to get into each of the rides. This is a while ago, okay? And so they got into this habit as they showed up onto a ride. They got, they got in line, and when their family got to the front of the line, the dad would stand at the front of the line and just start handing out tickets to his kids as they walked by, 
And one to his wife, or if she was actually doing the ride, she was probably off to the side laughing at them. All right? And then he would roll in behind, and they would go do the ride. And there were about three or four rides in, and they got to the next ride. They got up to the, the, the gate. It was their turn. He stood in front of the line as he did and started handing out tickets to his kid. He's like, yeah, there's Sam, there's John, there's Sheila, there's whatever. Great. And then this little kid showed up who he didn't know. And he looks at him like, who is this kid? As he's about to go in, and this kid is like, he's like, the, the audacity that this kid thinks I'm going to just, get, what am I, like the ticket master? I'm just handing out tickets willy-nilly. I can't afford to give tickets to everybody in the park. And there was this awkward just delay and wait while this kid just looked up at him expectantly. The line behind is starting to get a little antsy, like, could we just move this along? Give the kid a ticket. Let's go already. And the dad's like, what? And he's about to move forward. And then his son, Sam, comes back and said, hey, oh, this is my friend. And I told him you'd give him a ticket. And the dad's initial response is like, we've been here for like 30 minutes. How have you possibly made a friend already? But you know what he did? He gave the kid a ticket. Why? Not because he wanted to give a kid a ticket. Not because he knew the kid. Not because the kid had the audacity to ask but because his son had told him, my dad will give you a ticket. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. The Father made good the word of the Son. And God makes good the word of His Son when we pray in, in a way that fits the things that Jesus would want and the things that Jesus has laid on our hearts. I probably should have warned you at the beginning of this that I might get a little emotional. I say it's been a rough few weeks. Um, I've got a lot going on with some friends of mine um, that have been on heavy and heavy on my heart. There are some really tricky questions surrounding prayer and how it works. What is or is not God's will at any given time? Obviously, we have some pretty clear parameters in His Word of His overall will, but sometimes specifically we don't know. Part of the issue we run into, or at least I do, is trying to decide ahead of time what Ahead of what the asking is, what is or is not God's will, I try to decide it for him and decide what I filter out what prayers I can ask and what f prayers I shouldn't ask. And I'm not sure I should be doing that. I don't know, maybe I do it to save myself some time. Maybe I do it because I'm afraid that if God doesn't answer the way I want or the way I think he should, it might shake some of my belief in him and my faith in prayer in itself and might maybe stop me asking as much. I say over the last few weeks, I've had some pretty frank conversations with the Lord um, where I've challenged him to step up and show himself. Why is he just sitting back and doing nothing while the en enemy seems to be running rampant and having his way? I felt a little like Moses challenging God to think of his own reputation 
I may be giving myself a little more credit than I deserve there, but I was, I've been pretty frustrated. Um, how can people trust you if you're allowing your people to go through these things? And I know the answer to that is because when we come out the other side, as he walks us through, and it's not like we're immune from suffering. We're not. And sometimes the answering is not the, the relieving of the suffering. It's the strength that we gain going through the suffering. Um, there's, I say there's lots of trickiness about this subject. But this, these past couple of weeks especially, I think it's just really been getting to me. It's like, what are you doing? Wake up. Let me see you. Let everyone else see you. Stop being the God hiding in the shadows. You're supposed to be the God of the light. Come out. Let people see what you can do. I think we're supposed to pray bold prayers. Got to be careful with it, but I think we're supposed to pray bold prayers. But I think the longer we're in, in the church, the more we tend to sanitize or filter our prayers before we even ask them. It's almost as if we know too much to ask too much. Here's the thing, though. We're supposed to come to Christ like a child. Just ask, and don't stop asking. Whatever the answers to some of the tricky questions are, they must first of all leave God's sovereignty intact, and second of all, leave us in a position where we must trust Him. And that's exactly where I've felt the last few weeks. So I guess it's working. It's not been comfortable, though, but we tend to avoid uncomfortable. Prayer should take us to uncomfortable places. But the reality is this. God speaks to us in a language that we can understand, and what is crystal clear is that he has told us that he responds to our prayers. I don't understand how all of that works, but he responds to our prayers. He's told us he does, and he's commanded us to pray and to keep praying. He meant for us to read it that way because that's the way he said it. And if we wait to understand everything about prayer, then we would never pray. The third thing about this verse that I want to point out in verse 13 is, is what is at the end of the verse. It says, and whatever you ask in my name, or I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that, so why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So why does God answer prayer? So that he may be glorified. He has a vested interest in answering our requests. He wants to because he loves us. He wants to because he loves his son and he wants to make good the word of his son. And he wants to because in the process he is glorified, both in the asking and in the answers. But here's the kicker. It hit me as I was going through this week. His glory is not to just be his motive for answering prayer. His glory is to be part of our motive for the asking in the first place. You see how that changes our prayers? Yeah, how it changes our perspective on how prayer works and, and how we're supposed to be approaching this? I'll be honest with you. Some of the prayers that I've been praying this, this, these past couple of weeks have been 
selfish or solely focused on the people I love and care about. Some of them have been focused on his glory. Some of this whole idea of his glory is like, okay, God, do it. Show yourself. Let's, let people see how great you are. We sang all these songs this morning about how great is our God. And it was a great reminder for me that our God is great. He answers prayer. He's got this. He's working. He hasn't just left these situations alone. He's working behind the scenes and he's achieving his purpose, purposes. I want more, though. I want to see these situations resolved. I want, I want him to to show up and for peop- those people dealing with those things to, to feel his presence working, changing their circumstances as well as changing their hearts. C.S. Lewis said this about prayer. He said, I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. The true practice of prayer changes us. Desiring his glory is the all-encompassing qualifier. As we orient ourselves to his heart, our prayers more accurately reflect his will and character, and as a result, are more apt to be granted. In other words, when our motive for asking is the same as his for answering, we're on praying ground. When we want what he wants, When we both want the same thing, then we're in business. And newsflash, he's not the one who needs to reorient his will to ours. True prayer gets us serious about living life his way and wanting the things that he wants for us and from us. In James, it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I've always interpreted that verse as like, you know, a righteous man gets the reward of being righteous. And so therefore, God answers more of his prayers because the guy's living right. I think there's a certain amount of truth to that, but I've, I've realized there's more to it than that. The righteous man is more attuned to the heart of God. Therefore, what he's asking for is more in tune with what God desires. Jesus started this whole thing. This whole thing about prayer came about because he said, you will accomplish more than I have. You will do more and greater things than I have done. Tony Evans put that in context for us. He said, it's not that we will necessarily do all the same miracles. We won't do necessarily the same things that Jesus did. He was God. We're not. But the scope of impact of what we will do will be greater. Because Jesus was just one. We are many that are coming after him because of through him, because of what he did for us on the cross and the salvation that has molded us and changed us. We, he was in one location. We're all over the world. The gospel has gone forth and billions of people have come to faith in Christ and are changing the world that they live in, the people in their little world as they live for Christ in amongst those situations. So we will do greater things. We have done greater things. We will continue to do greater things. And in that context, Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer and says, just go for it. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. I'm on it. And all of this will be to the glory of God the Father. The big deal about prayer is not that we get what we ask for. That's usually when we feel like it's a big deal, right? 
But the big deal about prayer is not that we get what we ask for, but that God is glorified in our getting it. Probably about eight to ten years ago now, I started a habit largely out of necessity because I just was often too busy or distracted, and I would forget to pray for for pray consistently. Not I wouldn't forget to pray, but I would forget to pray about certain people consistently. Um, kids in the student ministry, I'd realize that, man, it'd been three weeks since they told me that this thing was going on in their lives, and I'd just, out of mind, out of sight, I'd just gotten too busy. And so what I started doing is I got into the habit of using the calendar on my phone and setting alerts on my phone. Um, and initially, I just started, I just put in all of the students. And every couple of hours, an alert goes off on my phone with the name of a student, and assuming I have time, at the, assuming I'm not driving at the time or something like that, I take a few minutes just to, to pray for them. If there's something that I know is going on in their lives, then I pray a little longer. Um, oftentimes, just doing that gets to the point where I almost don't need the alerts anymore because they're on my mind and I'm praying consistently for those things. If there's something major going on with somebody, like specifically the last few weeks, I usually set like three or four alerts every day. And it, my phone is constant. I actually had to, I had to limit my phone because my alert was like like a sort of thing, like because I you know wanted it to get my attention. Um, I don't have the ringer on my phone, so it was all the vibration, and my phone was just blowing up all the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. It's like I can't, I can't even pray because every time I start praying, it's like I know I got it already. So I had to, I had to lower it down to just a one, okay. Um, but it's been really helpful for me just to remind myself of what people are dealing with and what people are going through, what the needs are. Um, and it's kind of got me to a point where I pray relatively consistently. Um, for some of you, maybe you're a war room type person. You guys remember the movie that was out a while ago? And this old lady had her war room, and she would go in and she'd go, go to battle um, and in prayer for people and for things that were going on. A designated kind of war closet, as, as it were. Um, Maybe you're a Janice Jensen type. Janice Jensen came in to church a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she could tell, I think, just from the look on my face, that I was pretty wore out. So she asked me how I was, and so I told her. I told her what was going on. Um, I, I told her what was going on with some of my friends, um, and she's great because rather than just telling me that she was going to pray for me and then walking off to Sunday school class, she takes off her purse, she puts it down, she grabbed my hand and she says, and she didn't even ask, she just grabbed my hands and she just started praying for me. And I just, I just wilted. I'm like, this is just what I needed. Just like the worship this morning is just what I needed. It's God's way of just reminding me that he's on it. He hasn't forgotten. He's listening, he's hearing, and he's answering. I actually have a little network of women around the church. That almost sounds bad. Sorry, sorry, babe. Um, but I have, a little, I have a little network around the church, and when something is going on, either in my life or in the life of some of my students or friends, family, that's just really weighing on me, I'll just grab one of them and say, hey, I can't explain all the details, but can you pray for this? Can you pray for this person? Can you pray for me? Um, and I know that they are. They probably talk to each other and say, did Andy tell you about such and such? Okay, good, right? Just want to make sure that we're all on it. Um, and it's great. That's, what, that's how the church should operate. 
I don't know, maybe brushing your teeth is more your kind of thing. Just kidding, had to throw that in there. But whatever it is, we are called to continue the work that Jesus started. And prayer is a large part of the vehicle by which we get it accomplished. It's not just about the doing. It's about the prayer that backs the doing and the ministry. So let's put John 14, 13 to the test. Don't limit what you're asking for in the name of Christ. Pray big. Pray often. Pray hard. Pray angry. I think it's okay. God understands. But keep talking. Keep asking. Because he has promised that whatever we ask for in his name, he will do. Let's pray as we get ready for worship to wrap up. Lord, I almost don't want to like close this out in prayer. Um, Lord, I know it's a part of the service. It's a necessary part of the service. It's a good part of the service. It's a habit um, that we that we do as to to kind of as we leave your presence, as it were, from meeting together, just to close it out. But Lord, I don't want it to be an end of the sentence or an end of the conversation, end of the intercession, Lord. Lord, you know what's on my heart. You know what's on the heart of these guys and what they're dealing with and struggling with. You know the people in their lives and the challenges that they face. Um, Lord, you know the areas where it feels like the enemy is getting the upper hand and having free reign and you seem silent. Lord, thank you that you're not. Lord, I pray you'd help us to pray big, pray bold, to um, not do all the caveats and conditions and filters before we ask, but just to ask and to keep asking and allow that conversation as it happens to mold what we ask for and the way in which we ask. But Lord, I pray that prayer is something that you would continue to develop in us um, as a people, as individuals, and as a body. Thank you that you're your God who answers prayer. In your name, amen.